Thank you for welcoming us onto your headphones. I'm Alex. And I'm Eddie. Reviewing Wonder Woman, the first one, the good one. And this oh. is the rollback. <laughs> Why do you make things bad? <laughs> the return of Alex after, uh, what, no, no, We're cutting all of this, Dito. No. Fuck <laughs> oh, this. really? I don't remember you being the editor. I will hang up this goddamn call right now. <laughs> Take three, take three, take three. Thank you for walking with us on to... Okay, take four. Take four, take four! <laughs> Thank you for walking... Oh, motherfucker. You know what? You, you introduced Give us. Give it up for take five! Take five, everybody! <laughs> take five. I thought you were going to start. No, fuck that. I just said, like, you know what? I can't do this. You do it. I, I'm, I'm smiling. Oh, I'm you, can't, you can't do the start? Nope, I can't. I'm smiling and I'm laughing. Okay, okay. Here, here, we're, we're going to take turns now until one of us can get it right. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, I like this. I like this. Thank you for welcoming us onto your headphones. I'm Alex. And I'm Eddie, reviewing Wonder Woman. And this is the rollback. Hey, we got it right when you did it. Uh, Imagine that. Uh, (laughs) Wonder Woman. I mean, an important movie in a lot of ways as far as the landscape of superhero movies. And especially, I think, DC's efforts to kind of keep putting quality movies out goes. Uh, I have to ask, you know, Eddie, what's your what's your history with this movie? You know, were you there midnight release? What did you hear about it beforehand? What were your thoughts on the day? Um, so I had, God, going in to watch Wonder Woman. You, you know what's funny? Kind of stupid, but I guess it's progress. When I went to go see the very first Wonder Woman, uh, I could not find a men's Wonder Woman shirt. I couldn't find it for the life of me. I had to wear some you know, fucking generic uh, Justice League shirt. Then, come to Wonder Woman 1984, fucking Wonder Woman shirts everywhere, including for guys. So there's progress there. Um, but uh, going to go watch it, um, hyped, uh, pre-ordered the tickets, you know, uh, IMAX theater, obviously you, you don't watch Wonder Woman uh, in standard definition. Um, I was hyped, I was excited. Funny enough, uh, it was me, Nikki, and Chema that went to go watch it. All three of us, we, we went together to go watch this movie. Uh, we were still in college, yes, actually. We, we, we dearly miss our, our co-host today. Oh, man. Oh, I think um, chances are he'll probably be on there with us with our, for the 1984 uh, review. Shit, it might be the first right. review where we're all there because Fernie has some thoughts. He definitely does. And, I mean, the, the story that you tell... I think it could go in uh, in either direction because what if, you know, during the first one, all the men's Wonder Woman shirts were sold out because it was so good, uh, but then no one wanted to buy anything for 84 because they heard it was uh, terrible. Less so. It, what, uh, that's, that's a discussion for another day. But today, ladies it and gentlemen, is, it is. A- Alex was adamantly opposed to watching Wonder Woman. Is that a fair statement? No, no, it's... Uh... I'm not as against it as you would have me uh, as you would have me portrayed. Wonder Woman just didn't grab my attention. 
um, she she had, I guess, kind of two strikes against her, which is first and foremost, uh, you know, DC movie, right? <laughs> and, you know, I've said some nice things about DC movies. Um, I've, you know, was on the review for Birds of Prey. Uh, I don't believe that they're just 100% through and through terrible, but they're never a draw for me. And the second strike is that I hadn't seen at that point, I mean, really any of the other DC films other than Men of Steel. You know, she was kind of, uh, I suppose, embedded into this cinematic universe that I had no no stake in, right? So I didn't think that the, uh, the production company uh, was putting out really good work. And I thought that it was too much to get invested into story-wise. And as a result, I mean, I just didn't have any time for it. Mm -hmm. uh, the character itself, I have never been a huge reader of Wonder Woman comics. Um, but then again, I, I don't read too much DC in general. What little I have is just like some of the collections for Superman, a couple of the collections for Batman. Um, I know broad strokes, you know, her character history. Where I know her from more than anything is probably the animated series. And she's got a lot of great moments in there. That's kind of my background as I go into this movie to see, you know, can they live up to Diana of Themyscira from Justice League and Justice League Unlimited? So uh, let me ask you a quick question because you said yourself, you, you were kind of coming in dry as far as like, you know, uh, not much exposure as far as the cinematic universe was concerned. Um, personally, I think Wonder Woman worked as a standalone. Like you didn't have to watch the other ones to really understand what was going on here. Um, do, do you agree with that statement? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so all of, you know, those qualms were the qualms that I had to keep me from watching the actual movie. And also just because, you know, it's work to watch movies sometimes. Um, I got to <laughs> pick and choose. But no, upon seeing it... Um, it really makes sense what I would hear later about uh, the DC Expanded Universe, which is that coherence and kind of synergy between films, that's something that they're looking for uh, less and less, you know, making mm -hmm. more standalone films, making more successful franchises, arguably what they should have done from the beginning, right? Um, I, I think that you see that succeed in this Wonder Woman to some mm -hmm. extent. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to jump right into it with you, man. Because um, I, I, again, like DC fanboy, uh, in my estimation, DC can do no wrong to some extent. You know, don't get me wrong; I, I can acknowledge some fuck ups uh, that are done. So jumping right into the to the very beginning, we see her at the Smithsonian. A bit of a cold opening. Um, I guess it just kind of connects it to the uh, to Batman v Superman. You know, the modern age, and then they drop way back in time to uh, Diana's a child. Yeah, yeah, she's working as a as sort of museum curator. Uh, we see, you know, an armored truck with Wayne Enterprises. Um, this is also, weirdly enough, my first exposure to uh, to Affleck's Batman and how they're treating him in the new uh, in the DC expanded universe. Of uh, it's an interesting aesthetic, at least from the very little that we see. Uh, but she gets, of course, her war photograph right all the way back to 19 uh presumably 18 i suppose because they're still fighting but i mean they're working on uh, the armistice so 
that is going to raise some questions that I have about Diana, uh, but we can get into that more as the film progresses. Once we leap back in time, though, we go to Themyscira. Um, and, and I guess uh, my first question for you is, uh, <coughs> Patty Jenkins, this is the first, uh, well, really, I'm sorry, the second feature film she's ever done. Um, first one being Monster, you know, way back, which was a, a massive critical hit. Um, the, the cinematics of this movie, you know, the first time you see Themyscira, is it as uh, almost legendary and as awe-inspiring as you would, uh, you would believe? Yeah, so I think that Patty Jenkins really does a good job in the movie of um, kind of world building, I suppose, of making places seem uh, believable, seem lived in. There's a lot of good attention to detail, and I appreciate the art direction, which, I mean, certainly lets you know where you are in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Modern day London, as portrayed by her, is completely different from Themyscira. It's pretty different uh, even from, you know, the London of 100 years ago. Uh, so, yeah, as far as her vision of the island of the Amazons, uh, really impressive stuff, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you're able to pick up the kind of like Roman, Greek, uh, kind of out overall look of the of the place. Um, Which but- only makes sense, you know. The, the Amazonians, I suppose, kind of draw from that mythology, literally speaking, right? I mean, Ares is the uh, big bad guy of the piece. Definitely. Um, and uh, I got your first fun fact for you, mate. Uh, yeah. So when they were trying to, when they were initially doing the film, obviously, you know, uh, Gal Gadot, uh, she, she's a talented actress, I'd argue. Uh, but uh, one of the things that she just could not fucking do, and like she, apparently she tried, like legitimately tried for weeks. She couldn't lose her accent. You know, she said she couldn't help but sound, you know, have her accent. Cause she's, uh, I believe she's a, uh, yeah. She's Israeli. Sorry, she's Israeli. I'm sorry. And so obviously she has an accent and she could not for the life of her drop her fucking accent. Like she could not like get rid of it. So to keep continuity, to, to make everything make sense, they had every other Amazon take on her accent. So that way it all made sense. Like Patty Jenkins went to that extent that, hey, you're all going to try to sound like her. Sure. You just sure. make sure, you know, part of the world building, but also one of the little things that's like, huh, I didn't consider that. But if you go back and really listen to everyone, yeah, they all try to sound like her. Well, and as a director in that circumstance, you kind of have two choices, right? I mean, the lead cannot get rid of her natural accent. Well, I think that the instinct of most people there, you know, if you're if you're early on in production, might just be to find another lead, right? But I think that Patty Jenkins, you know, went with a correct instinct to keep Gal Gadot because Gal Gadot and Patty both have throughout the film um, kind of a difficult task of keeping Diana as as a hero, a very effective, competent person, but also someone who's, you know, fish out of water and relatable too. Um and that the audience can feel kind of inspired by, but also affectionate for. um, I think that Gal Gadot does a really good job of acting that. So I think that when you get someone that can kind of walk that tightrope, it makes a lot of sense to say, you know, hey, everyone here uh, that's going to be in the film for, 
you know, all of 20 minutes. Uh, we're going to teach you how to put on this kind of Greek accent. Mm-hmm. And then you're right. You know, that does go to, well, I, I, I don't know, man, after her first appearance as Wonder Woman and it was, she was one of the few critical highlights in Batman v Superman, I do not imagine that they were like, oh, maybe we should recast Wonder Woman. I, I, I severely doubt they would have done it. But uh, but anyway, so we watch her uh, we watch her grow up and we watch her kind of come of age to some extent on the island, you know, from the from being a young child and being shown, you know, the story of the gods and what happened between Zeus and Ares. Uh, you get this cool kind of like motion painting kind of thing of everything that's happening. Uh, to me, a great way to show, you know, to shoehorn a lot of exposition at the beginning of the film. Of uh, stylistic differences, I guess. That reminded me more than anything of a combination of like the 300 style slow motion and uh, the animatronics that they have in Caesar's Palace in Vegas. Uh, it kind of lost me in that moment. We'll be talking, you know, more and more about fight scenes and CG throughout the movie. Uh, I think that that's one of the movie's weak points, in my opinion. Really, like even even though yeah. it was even though it was just meant to be like a storybook, it wasn't actually meant to be like realistic. Uh, if it's in a movie, and especially one like this, it's meant to be kind of visually enthralling, no matter what it is. Uh, I, I felt like it was kind of flat to me. It was sort of just boring. Uh, mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot to draw my eye. The colors too were not particularly. Like vivid, they seemed almost muted. I don't appreciate the palette that they went with. Hmm. Fair, fair. So, um, okay, so so going on, you know, you see her coming of age, and you see the warriors, uh, the the Amazons, you know, training and fighting and battling with each other. Um, the action sequences in this film, you know, this is the very first, you know, sparring match that we kind of get. Uh, what did you think of the whole, you know, overall action, the manner in which they move? You know, I, I think it was a good blend of like slow mo. You know, going to normal speed and back and forth. You know, throughout this, uh, throughout the opening sequence of them, you know, uh, sparring and you know them everyone training. What would you think? Yeah, the opening sequence uh, with the the kind of fighters or the warriors of the tribe led by uh, Robin Wright, who plays um, Claire Antiope. Antiope. Uh, I'm gonna call her Robin Wright because that's how I know her best. <laughs> Fair. Uh, and then I'm president, of course. Um, I think that the the finding is kind of interesting. It's sort of a double-edged sword for me, pun intended, because I feel like any time that they're fighting sort of like close in with, you know, their swords, um, fighting in melee, I think that that's really interesting. I think that it's good fight choreography during those parts. Uh, but anytime they start doing like acrobatics and this is going to come up later we're like in the movie there are like these really high jumps mm-hmm. and it just feels very awkward when that happens um the tricks like you know kind of hanging off a horse shooting arrows all of that feels impressive because it seems imaginable you know relatable like uh you could imagine a person doing that uh the action is going to kind of vary between that and stuff that kind of reaches the uncanny valley for me. Um, and the other bit that I appreciate, though, about the early part of the film is we have this we have this sequence of Diana as a child running all through, like, the market and all through her island. 
Um, and it kind of reminds you of a lot of, you know, children's stories, children's movies, where there's a similar sequence, right? And it seems like a lot of focus is given to the kid. Patty Jenkins, though, is able to give a good reason to that. A lot of attention is paid to Diana because she's the only child, right? She's the only child on the island. Mm -hmm. um, and I think throughout the movie, she does kind of a good job of presenting tropes that you would see in other movies and then subverting them. Really? What... what um... What tropes are you talking about? At least in the opening aspect. Like, what, what do you mean? Yeah, so there are a lot of shots. Uh, I want to say in like a lot of DreamWorks movies, a lot of Disney movies, where you will have like the similarly young like child protagonist go through like a marketplace or go through like their town and everyone is kind of like talking to them or paying notice to them. Um, and in those movies, I mean, it's just a trope because like, the attention is paid to them because they're the main character. But when Patty Jenkins presents a similar sequence, right? Child Diana is running through uh, the market and the, the Amazonians are all around her. The reason why everyone pays such attention to her is because she's the only child. And in a very real way, I mean, she's kind of being raised by all of them. I mean, she's got her mother, of course, but, uh, but Robin Wright, also plays you know a very big role in her upbringing as well as her fellow warriors i mean they do the same thing mm -hmm. so a lot of attention is paid uh to the reasoning behind why a trope is in the movie and we'll see that later when it comes to the war sequences but this is where we get a foretaste of what patty jenkins is all about uh here at the beginning hmm okay you know what that's fair i never really uh took that into consideration the fact that you know they She's not just Hippolyta's daughter, but really she's uh, she's being raised by the village. No, I, I didn't consider that. Good, good point. Um, what did you think? Uh, so thus far, you know, you're being introduced to Wonder Woman, and uh, I can certify uh, a lot of what they tell you uh, at this beginning part. You know, you know the the Amazons, their duty to man. You know what they're supposed to do, why the gods created them. I, I can say this: that's comic book wise, it's accurate. Um, right. Did, okay. Did, did you uh, did you feel like you were getting like a like a like a history lesson like as, as far as like you know the mythos of Wonder Woman? I mean, every every movie kind of has to set up its exposition. I thought, other than what I was talking about with regard to the visuals of the sequence, I thought it was fine. I mean, we all have to uh, find our exposition uh, our exposition somehow, um, and Diana's mom reading to her in a fairy tale is as good as anything else uh, i have a question for you shoot during uh this part of the movie uh, a, a legendary weapon is said to exist something that can uh kill Ares when he inevitably returns from being vanquished by zeus mm -hmm. um diana thinks that it's the sword and no one tells her otherwise did you for a minute think that it wasn't diana who was actually the weapon did you think that it was going to be the sword because to me, it was just really clear that, oh, no, Diana is the weapon. So I'm, I'm going to be uh, twofold with you. And I guess this is the part where I guess my, my uh, comic book knowledge actually becomes uh, uh, worked against me. In the comics, there is actually a god killer sword uh, that Diana has. So because of that, I was like, okay, like she, this is going to be a Kung Fu, Panda situ Kung Fu Panda situation where she is special. 
like you know oh it's it was you the whole time the dragon scroll whatever but uh the fact that they were introducing the god killer sword so early on in her mythos in her first film you know of what's hopefully going to be a trilogy i was like maybe 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 uh i see i see so they she she kind of used you know if you're a comic book nerd she used that against you sure yeah and that's always nice right you know when uh jenkins and other comic movie directors can kind of give like little red herrings like that or even cool like easter eggs and mentions i i didn't know for instance um that she had a god killer sword as part of her like artifact list in the comics all i knew i mean is the classic right she's got these bracers she's got the lasso i didn't even know a shield was part of it although you know she she has one kind of prominently in this movie yeah. Uh, and I wanted to ask you if you drew any similarities between this movie and a certain other comic book movie. Uh, um, Captain Marvel? Also, yeah, because <laughs> Captain Marvel, uh, certainly, right? Mm-hmm. You have a female-led superhero film, kind of, it doesn't like establish female characters in their respective mythos, but it is kind of flagship. Right. I mean, this is um, a female superhero carrying the movie. And in that respect, yeah, they're kind of similar. Um, but what I was thinking of was Captain America First Avenger. No, yeah, I, mean, I, was, I, both... I was fucking with you. <laughs> yeah, I knew oh, you, okay. I knew right. Well, good. Good. Good to know that. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, we have two war movies set predominantly in the past. Um, Two shield wielding uh, superheroes, right? Mm-hmm. We even have two Steves take off in a plane to save <laughs> the day at the end of the film. I, I see. I, I see. You're gonna run from the from the from the old well. Fair. I I don't know how to feel about that. Um, especially since some of the sequences that are similar were my favorite parts of the film. Um, <laughs> but. We're, we're digressing a bit. We're getting a little bit ahead, ahead of ourselves because, you know, Diana's main conflict. So right from the beginning, um, she shares the the same kind of desire that a lot of protagonists have, right? Like she's Moana. She's Luke Skywalker. She's someone who wants to venture out into the wider world for adventure. Uh, someone who wants to become more than the role that her authority figure like presents for her. Uh, but that figure, in this case, her mom, you know, just tries to, to keep her in a box, right? She doesn't want Diana uh, learning how to fight, learning how to be a warrior, uh, which is strange because to my knowledge from the show and the comics uh, and, you know, the, the brief knowledge I have on Greek mythology, the Amazonians are kind of like a, a warrior tribe from everything that I understood it just seems really strange to me um, that Queen Hippolyta, and again, butchering that pronunciation, would know what she does about Diana, right? Know that Ares is out there, but not want to educate Diana and protect her in that way? Um, ah, God, okay, again, this goes to the comics, and it's entirely possible that this might be something that wraps up the trilogy. Um but uh, there's a few reasons why Hippolyta doesn't want uh, 
doesn't want Diana to be trained as a warrior or to leave the M or to, to leave them a scare. There's a few reasons. Um, would, do you mind if I tell you the two main ones? That's perfectly fine. I mean, if, if uh, I will say that I don't think this is going to help my thought on the movie anymore, just because I think that you shouldn't have to bring outside knowledge into a movie for it to kind of, you know, make sense and be a good story, but mm-hmm. I am interested. So, uh, and bear in mind, again, this might get paid off later on if, you know, Paige Jenkins is as talented as I believe she is. She may pay it off. So there's two reasons why. One, uh, one gets kind of spoiled in the movie. Diana is a demigod. You know, she, she's the daughter of Zeus. Um, sure. So with that, you know, who gets really pissed when they find out that Zeus has another goddamn half-breed child? Oh, Hera. Exactly. So she's worried. Zeus's his wife. For, yeah, exactly. uh, for yeah. those who didn't have to read Edith Hamilton's mythology in the second grade. <laughs> but you were insane. Jesus Christ. Man, what kind of childhood did you have? We're not getting into that, man. That's fair. Uh, so uh, the, so it's kind of like a Hercules kind of situation where it's like Hippolyta does not want uh, what's her face to find out. Because if she does, you know, they, hmm. they, the, the heroes that have crossed Hippolyta's path don't always walk out the you know, in the best shape. Hera. Hera, I'm sorry, Hera. Right. Uh, Hera is notoriously vengeful. Uh, I mean, I think that most famously, uh, spoilers for Hercules, the, uh, you know, the real version. old tale. The real uh, version. Yeah, the, she makes him, I believe, like, go insane and kill his family. So he that pulls was, a Kratos. He pulls a Kratos. That's kind of the person that we were dealing with here so okay that makes sense that makes sense um but even as far as like it paying off later i don't know i think that if they had hinted at something like that maybe if they'd hinted at her having maybe a better reason than it seems like she did then i might be willing to to understand that as is though in the movie it just looks like uh Connie Nielsen, who plays Hippolyta, it just looks like she was neglectful. You know, it looks like she was wanting her daughter to be the one Amazonian who didn't have any combat experience. Well, um, well also bear in, in mind how, how young she yeah. is, you know, but bear in mind how young she is, she doesn't want to get hurt. And I also argue she's aware that her, her daughter is not like the rest of the Amazons. I think... Uh, Hippolyta, and, and again, I'm to be fair, this may be 100% speculation. I, as a matter of fact, it is because it hasn't been confirmed. She doesn't want Diana to go anywhere. She's worried that Diana will be the one to, you know, break rank in, you know, the world of man. You know, she Diana demands adventure. She She's not satisfied with the island. She's not satisfied with simply, you know, training with her sisters. She wants more, and that's terrifying to a parent who doesn't know anything outside of the world. You know, all she knows is, hey, out there, world bad, here, good, stay. And it, it, it may just be like a mother's worry, you know, and it's entirely possible. That's fair. That's fair. And, you know, we definitely do get that. Um, we definitely do get the fact that she is, you know, very protective, uh, in a somewhat overbearing way of Robin Wright, uh, we've mentioned is kind of like, the alternative authority figure in Diana's life. Robin Wright is definitely in the other direction. Robin Wright, it seems to me like she knows the the secret about Diana. Um, And she wants to train her. I mean, 
even when she's a little kid, Robin Wright like gives her a training staff and they do like spear drills together. Um, and she seems to be kind of the the captain of the guard, I suppose. Um, so definitely more warlike, definitely more, you know, Diana should be prepared for what lies ahead uh, just in case. But we eventually, you know, see the um the child actress who's very good by the way she's not in the in the film very often but i think that she kind of uh captures the the diana character we see her become gal gadot and what ends up happening is that a plane falls out from the sky Mm -hmm. um and again i i'm really hoping maybe this pays off in the long run um and here's another thing which again i I, you got to bring in from the comics which i'm hoping may pay off in the third film uh it's possible and i use the word possible uh zeus so the mascara is protected by a shield created by zeus because he does not want uh hera to find out about his side piece uh that being hippolyta and his side baby that being diana right so it's entirely possible that hera may have weakened the shield may have allowed Steve Trevor onto the island. She may have incited all this just to get some petty revenge on Zeus. Uh, it's entirely possible that Hera did this. Okay. Yeah, kind of a chess master thing. She was behind it the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and uh, full, full honesty here, I've not yet seen uh, 84, but I'm going to be watching that movie now with the thought that, you know, maybe there is a, a greater instigator you know, in all of this, because that would be interesting to me. I think that that would, uh, I think that that would be a better play on the mythology that they draw from than exists in this movie. Uh, but that's a little bit further down. As to the incursion itself, we have uh, Chris Pine playing Stephen Trevor, uh, World War One spy, American spy, working for the British followed by a bunch of imperial germans right i mean they've got a whole battleship uh that they basically reef and then like three rowboats worth of guys and a very interesting fight happens i want to know what you thought of this action sequence that ensues i really enjoyed it actually i I thought it was a good mix of like you know the amazonians they're trained fighting but uh just to even up the playing field a bit you know we have guns you have arrows we have guns you have spears we have guns um, but also, I think it does a great job of showing just how fierce uh, and and uh, warrior you know, tribe these uh, these women are. Um, because, god damn, if I had to pick between fighting ten German sh- ten German sh- ten German soldiers or fighting one Amazon, I'm gonna rush those ten guys because I'm not fighting any one of them. Well, and the thing of it is, uh, the Germans will kill you quick because there are a couple points in this movie where I have to kind of sit back and think, what is Patty Jenkins going to do here? Because she has kind of two options. One is the option that a regular movie could take that, you know, a regular action movie, kind of a, a cliche, you know, superhero movie. Um, or this can be kind of innovative. And this fight scene, a regular movie, I think, would have shown, like, the the Amazonians able to, like, get past the guns or, you know, disarm them really quickly. Patty Jenkins, though, goes in the other direction. I mean, she shows that uh, 
the the modern inventions of warfare that these Germans have, even just these guys in a rowboat, kind of completely outmatch the Amazonians. If it weren't for the Amazonians, kind of like greater number, and the fact that there's not too much cover on the beach, um, I think it would have gone very differently for them, because the guns open up. And I mean, we lose several characters that we'd seen all throughout like Dinah's childhood. Uh, Robin Wright dies protecting her as well. I think that that was extremely interesting and a good foretaste of what's to come. Uh, Part of my comic knowledge is that DC has a lot of deities, right? It's got um, gods from New Genesis. It's got like the Amazonians. It's got the Greek gods. Uh, And a lot of that involves them being just kind of inherently more powerful than the world around them. I like that these mythical beings were not more powerful than like the hunting rifle that Hans had off the boat, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It it made it feel, it made it feel like it had more stakes. Um, That feeling is going to get challenged later in the film, but as for now, I'm really impressed with the direction that Jenkins went, as well as uh, impressed with Chris Pine's performance. What did you think of of Steve Trevor's intro here in the fight scene, as well as, you know, kind of his stay on the island? Um, I think there's a few good things. One, I think Chris Pine kind of uh, and, and throughout this whole film, I think he reminds people like he's not just the, the captain of the Enterprise. He's a legit actor like and he's good and he can be when he wants to be you know when he wants to turn it on um he's funny he's charming he can be serious he delivers hard messages when necessary um i I really enjoyed his performance and again it's true to it's true to comic book steve you know it's that's the way he really is um i love his skepticism and and you see very early on that he's on the the amazon side uh you know they're like okay this guy's an ally he's at least on our side and uh he, he brings such a character and a soul to it. Um, one of the big highlights of this film, uh, critically, uh, was the relationship between Diana and Steve and what they do and how they, they talk and, you know, play off each other. Um, and obviously it takes two to tango. And uh, I, I thought he did a magnificent job. What about you? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, their relationship, their chemistry in the movie is uh, is a great part of it for me. I like that his introduction um, and kind of just his exploits throughout the film, they're sort of the stuff of like these pulpy, like action adventure, like novels or serials that you would find about, um, about like World War One and the, the ensuing years around that. There's a lot of like action adventure spy stuff where like, uh, you know, uh, an allied spy will get sent to, like an exotic land and find a mystical artifact. And that's literally what is happening to him. I mean, he's on the mascara. He's seeing like this tribe of semi immortal uh, warrior women who have this kind of like veil of secrecy all around their, their Island. Um, and I thought that his interplay with Diana was lighthearted Um to kind of help ease the audience into it. I thought that his explanations of things uh, from the outside world were pretty funny. And of course that lends uh, Diana to be kind of a fish out of water. Uh, it's a very good relationship between the characters. 
Also, bear in mind, I think about the context of the of the relationship. Uh, at the time, Chris Pine, uh, well, I guess Steve Trevor, technically, um, you know, he has a female secretary and uh, very much, I won't say he's sexist, but at the very least, he's not used to women being, you know, the way they are, which is, you know, strong, powerful, you know, uh, what the Amazons are. So he's, he's very much off put by, uh, by not only Diana's strength, but also like her, her force of character, her force of will, you know. Um, sure, sure. But well, I would ask, you know, in response to that, how many people of that era like would be prepared for Diana, you know, uh, for someone who's not just like mm-hmm. independent, self-possessed, confident, uh, but someone who's, you know, demigod, right? <laughs> and as well as being a princess, right? Someone who who has a position of actual authority. Yeah. Um, I think that that would be unusual for a lot of people. I think that that's the reason why uh, Steve Trevor and when we see him, his, his group later, his friends, I think it's the reason why they're a bunch of misfits. I think maybe those guys who are kind of like on the fringes of their respective groups uh, are better able to appreciate Diana and kind of accept uh, her, her value. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You see, uh, you see a lot of the other end uh, when we get to Britain proper uh, and we have a lot of like ministers and, and generals who are just dismissive out of hand. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we'll jump right there in just a moment. But I just want to give, ask you one last thing. Um, there's another sequence where, you know, uh, they're healing Steve um, and Diana takes it upon herself. You know, I'm going to be the one to take him back. You know, I'm going to be the one to do this. And uh, right. she, she sneaks off and she breaks into a sacred temple to steal the let's be honest she ransacks the armor you know she gets the god killer sword the 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 armor and everything um and it's fun when she when she first jumps and starts to climb and you see that snicker on her face the the smile the the i can do this and you know she she starts to break the brick and climb upward you know discovering her powers uh i I don't know it, it was so playful but i i think it worked so perfectly well with her character of like oh i can do this you know, it, discovering your power. It's kind of like uh, not as uh, not exactly the same thing, but kind of like the first time Tony Stark like learns to fly in his garage and he's like trying to learn how to balance. And he goes starting off at 10%. Boom. Just like smashes into the wall. <laughs> smashes, yeah. Clips his head on the ceiling. Like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think that having characters who have fun with their powers, right. Who are kind of like, joyous to see these abilities i think that's relatable right i mean uh Ed, you get so strong that tomorrow you can punch through walls are you not going to climb some weird things with that power i mean are you not gonna be pretty happy that that's happening to you oh hell yeah exactly exactly and i mean it's only natural it, it lets us relate to gal gadot i think that her acting is really good in that scene and of course you know just throughout um where i think that the movie kind of lets us down is I think the CG is a little awkward where where she like punches through rock to like get each handhold or each foothold. I also don't understand why like she sometimes pauses and like moves to the left or the right. You're not really looking for for a handhold. You understand that, right? You're making a handhold. Um and I think that's kind of an instance of like clumsy CG, but Gal Gadot herself is really good in that. Mm-hmm. Um so so if we fast forward a little bit to when they first get to London, 
uh, Wonder Woman, uh, well, I guess Diana, very much is a fish out of water. Uh, did you did, did you enjoy her kind of discovering everything, like the baby, ice cream, you know, her surroundings, and just realizing where the hell she is? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, I did. Like I like I mentioned, uh, part of what I enjoy about her is that she's a fish out of water. You know, she's comedic as much as anything. Um, to compare it to the movie you had mentioned earlier, uh, Captain Marvel is kind of just joyless, right? She's very serious, she's very stoic. Um, she's got a duty, but the audience is not quite sure why, you know, like what motivates her to be so dedicated. Uh, with Diana, I mean, it's it's the exact opposite because she's very open about these things, right? In a lot of ways, um, she's got like a childlike wonder at the world around her. Um, when she like has ice cream for the very first time, she's like, this is incredible. You should be very proud. <laughs> um it's just it's very sincere you know and that's that's endearing i think uh, i think there's also an element of arrested development in that uh, just a little bit where she she was sheltered right literally from the world but also kind of from the facts of life i want to say by hippolyta um by the nature of people which you know, kind of understandably, because Amazonians are not quite human from, you know, my understanding. But um, she's very naive, too. And I think that we're going to see that play out later on. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, the London sequence is excellent. Uh, meeting Steve Trevor's secretary included. Very funny presence. Mm -hmm. I love that they brought her in because she's actually from the comics. She was Wonder Woman's uh, sidekick in the initial comics, uh, Miss Candy. Etta Candy played by Lucy Davis. Yeah, she's well, she's great in this. I mean, mm -hmm. I can only assume that you know she doesn't come out as like a hundred year old person in uh, eighty four, but but it's a shame. Mm -hmm. um, and you also uh, you also get a little well again little fun fact thing. Um, you remember the sequence where she saves Steve in London when they're about to get mugged or attacked or whatnot. That yeah. So basically, this is another example of like Steve's spycraft, right? Um, he's being followed around and he kind of tries to like go through a back alley. Um, but you know, there's about, what was that? Five, six German spies. Yeah. They, they were fully surrounded on every side. Right. And then Wonder Woman appears. Yeah. Well, see a funny thing. That's actually a bit of a direct reference to, uh, the original Superman film with, uh, Christopher Reeves, um, including what she's wearing, but also the way she protects them. It's an exact, mm -hmm. it's, it's a bit of an homage, uh, you know, uh, and Patty Jenkins did that conscientiously, you know, uh, saying I wanted to include the sequence as a bit of a, you know, call back to the fans, you know, for the fans. So, sure, yeah, included. Sure. Well, I mean, the strength of comic book movies is that you have a lot of material that you already know a good amount of people uh, are familiar with and, and are affectionate for, right? It's proven to work. I think that's why you would go to the well of the original Superman. And I think it's why you'd make a standalone movie separate from what's come after. I agree. Um, so from there, you know, Steve is very much adamant, hey, we're gonna do this. And Diana is very much adamant, you know, no, we're gonna go to the front lines, we need to find areas, you know. And you, you yeah, mentioned so it, it goes to her mm -hmm. innocence, you know, that she, uh, yeah. she believes that, you know, we just have to kill this one guy and it's over. Exactly, exactly. Her. So to flesh that out, her, I guess, quest 
she would she would probably call it a quest. Uh, her quest is that she must find Ares because Ares is corrupting the the souls of humanity. That's why there's this big war on. And once she kills Ares, then the whole thing you know stops overnight. People kind of like wake up. They're almost hypnotized, I suppose, um, because that's kind of like the fairy tale that she's been led to believe. Steve, on the other hand, is uh, very pragmatic. He he's very much of the idea that uh, no, we, I mean we have a mission and it's going to save lives, but you know this whole end the war by killing one man thing is kind of nonsense. He entertains it sort of uh, to keep Diana around and to. I guess kind of try to break it gently to her, but no, she, she very much believes that uh, her way is correct. Where Steve has a mission to stop chemical weapons. Um, we haven't really discussed this so far, but the main enemies of the movie, as we can see them are uh, Ludendorff and Dr. Poison. Um, Elena Anaya playing Dr. Um, forget her first name but her surname is maru oh and of course we have uh ludendorff as the the german uh commander that has you know chemical weapons under his purview played by danny uh danny houston mm-hmm. and then that goes kind of to the villains but i guess we can uh, i just want to uh we can get back to that in a sec um so Diana, she's very much uh, pushing forward to go to the front lines and whatnot. And we see, we, we get our first look at the villains, really, um, what they're capable, what they're able to do. Um, one thing that I found really interesting about Dr. Poison, bear in mind, this took subsequent uh, subsequent views to, to really understand. Um, she's really the only high-ranking woman in the entire film. Like, and she's the only woman with any real power, say, um, because Diana, Diana's the Amazonian god, and the next like most high up women, I guess, in the military, is Doctor Poison. You know, it, I, I think it's interesting that you know, uh, on one side, one uses her strength, the other one uses her brain, I guess, to to be a a person that needs to be heard, a person that will not be silenced. Um, and I thought that was a bit of an interesting dynamic. You know, what happens when you do give you know uh, this this woman the opportunity to really you know do something. Which you know is normal is normal nowadays, but you know back then, uh, I'm sure it was more of a. And speaking within the frame of the film, uh, it was more of a questionable thing. Like, why do you have her here? She's a woman. Like, why? Well, why is she? Why do you, is she one of your scientists? You know, didn't you see all the mistakes she's made? And Ludendorff, you know, he, I'm not gonna. Is it Ludendorff? Am I pronouncing correctly? Ludendorff, yeah. Ludendorff, uh, Ludendorff. So, not to give him too much credit. But to his credit, um, he recognizes a powerful ally when he sees one. Well, sure. Sure. And I think that this kind of goes back to what we were saying about uh, Steve and his friends. They're able to accept Diana and see kind of like the value that she brings. Ludendorff is much the same uh, with Dr. Poison, um, who is, it should be noted, like famous along the, um, the Western lines for the chemical weapons that she creates. I mean, she's she's definitely skilled. I think that Ludendorff, uh, a big part of it is just him noticing that she brings results. I mean, give him the the credit for being uh, effective, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely, that's true. Very true. Um, we're in London. Something else, that, um, something else that the London kind of sequence gives us 
is we get to see uh, Steve's superiors and we get to see, you know, the whole cabinet uh, in action. This is when, of course, you know, a lot of them are uh, being very dismissive of Diana. Uh, they're talking about the armistice and saying how, you know, there should be no action whatsoever against the Germans because we are planning the armistice and the war would be over. Anything that could disrupt that would be, you know, obviously in uh, danger to that mission. Uh, here we meet uh, in all of this uh, Sir Patrick Morgan, who we will later discover, you know, has actually been Aries this whole time. Uh, David Thewlis, I want to say, uh, plays him. And this is a plot point that kind of is a snarl for me. So Sir Patrick Morgan in his, you know, guise as a, as an English minister is, is meant to be kind of one of the architects of this armistice, right? Like he's negotiating for peace. You know, that's his baby, but he goes to Steve Trevor and gives him an envelope of money so that Trevor and his group can go check out this, you know, weapons munition plant, the chemical engineering plant, so that they can stop it. Uh, and Diane is going to go along, obviously, because she believes that that's where Ares is. She thinks Ludendorff is Ares. We, though, we, the audience, now know, looking back, that Morgan was Ares all along. Why did he do that? Um, well, because the thing about it, Ares feeds off of war, and he knew if he sends Diana and this team over there to fuck with it, um, they're going to hopefully instigate more violence, more death, more war, more power for him. Uh, Ares that runs. isn't true. From his own speech, I don't believe that that's true. I mean, because Ares will later, like in his villain speech, go into how he doesn't instigate war. He just gives them the tools. People do it themselves. I think that well, and, and he gets into also how his original intention was always just to show how evil mankind was. So I don't necessarily see that motivation for him based on anything that he says. Ah, damn it. I don't want to keep bringing stuff in from the comics, but I know that's a thing in the comics. Maybe they don't specifically state it in this in this film. Uh, he, he does talk about, you know, they'll destroy themselves, you know, just let them die or whatnot. Um but yeah, that's, that's an, actually an interesting point. I, I never really thought about that. Uh, well, because later on he'll say that you know, he wants to like bring Diane in on this. I guess I'm a little... I don't know how that helps his aim, you know? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't he understand. Just extend a hand yeah. to her. Sorry? Well, at one point he does extend a hand to her and being like, look, just join me already for the love of God. Like, you've seen how shitty they can be. That's true. That's true. I mean, the the whole thing might be just a very roundabout way of trying to get her to his side. I just don't necessarily see if he wants, you know, humanity to destroy itself. I don't really see how that, how bringing her to like this specific location where a lot of his plans are helps him out. I mean, I think you could have gotten like a pretty simple result by just showing her like the Somme or Verdun. But I mean, I understand the plot has to has to bring these two together. I just thought that that was a little bit clunky, or maybe I just didn't understand it. I don't know. I think, and again, looking back on it now, even like the little subtle things that Ares does, uh, 
the way he looks or, you know, his scowls, you know, the little moments, the way he looks around and whatnot. Um, props to the acting. This is really a film you need to see more than once to really pick up on all those little things. Because obviously on a rewatch, you know who Ares is. You know, you, you know who the real villain is. And uh, definitely. Yeah, you, you definitely get a peek behind the curtain. Although I did, watching it through the first time, um, I did guess that he was Ares. Just because, I mean, Ludendorff is so obviously evil. But Diana seems so sure that it's him. I feel like it almost can't be. But again, I, th- I think that goes to his, uh, to her, uh, my, to her being uh, naive. Like, Naivete. Yeah, her naivety. Yeah. So that might be it. Um, but yeah. yeah. But this does get us to uh, to some of my favorite sequences of the movie. Uh, you know, Diana in the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, and again, right after this film, uh, I, I know you didn't particularly pay attention when it was first released, but that sequence actually, when Diana is, uh, it goes into no man's land was the scene that legitimately broke the internet for a little while. You know, it was the scene that everyone was talking about. It was the big character scene. It was, you know, people were saying, why couldn't man of, why couldn't Batman versus Superman, you know, attain this level of awesomeness, you know, the no man's land scene, um, very much hyped, very much, you know, it was in the trailers all over the place and it was talked about in every media, you know, circus, every media blitz. Um, what did you think of the No Man's Land sequence? Um, yeah, I guess I'm not surprised that a lot of people were impressed by that. I talked about earlier how Patty Jenkins kind of goes an unorthodox route a couple of times in the movie, um, something away from where I guess conventional movies would go. Part of that is when Steve um, and his crew are, are taking her through the trenches, right? So she's seeing all of this war. She's seeing all of like the civilians and people having their lives ruined and the injured soldiers too. She wants to help all of them, right? Um, but this is where, just like on the beach, where modern warfare meets her, you know, antiquated expectations of warfare, right? Mm-hmm. Because you cannot help everyone when the scope of the war is this big. You know, there were there were too many people for her to help, even just in that little sector of the trench. And that's, you know, maybe less than 1% of the total fighting. Mm-hmm. That was fascinating to me because it was... Patty Jenkins kind of asking the question, you know, what good is a superhero? What good is one superhero against, you know, a a system-wide conflict, right? Something that spans way more than one person could ever realistically handle. Um, Even, you know, Diana's Justice League teammate. I thought that that was really interesting I thought that the over-the-top bit where she charges into no man's land, I thought that that's what a normal movie would do. You know, it would show her, like, breaking through the trench line and being victorious. Uh, So I think that's... It was a little disappointing for me, right? Because it kind of shies away from confronting the fact that no matter how good of a superhero Diana is, and she definitely is one, right? Like she's taking bullets as she goes through the, uh, she goes through the the lines between the trenches. She can't make a change on that scale, 
And I think that the action sequence just kind of shoves that question under the rug. You don't think it was more telling that she was uh, simply, you know, drawing the fire of all the of all the the gunmen uh, that way her her uh, her allies? Because I, I think it would have been normal. I think you most people would. Yeah, you're right. Would have expected Diana to just, you know, run through no man's land, get into the trenches, and completely, you know, a one woman army. Um, but I think it goes actually to show you know, the the account not the accountability. That's not the right word. Uh, the the mentality of Patty Jenkins that you know this is not a uh, one person show even though she is the main hero you know and she does have her powers uh this is not a one person thing this this takes uh, it takes a village you know it takes a team to, to get this done uh well i would disagree there because she tries to go as i recall it anyway she tries to go a couple of times but steve tries to tell her no just as he did earlier when she wanted to help out like the civilians or like the injured soldiers um but she finally goes over the top alone and no one is allowed to follow her. I mean, in the trenches, they say like, hold back. I don't think that she was expecting anyone to come with her. I think that this was kind of like just an, uh, an active instinct because Diana is very, she's very impulsive in that way, you know, where she sees something is wrong. She wants to go help out. She's got a very heroic instinct in, in that regard. Um, there's no way, for instance, that she would let her adopted father disappear into like a tornado. That would be entirely unlike her because she's a hero. Um, so yeah, when hey, she, when she charges, <laughs> well, when she charges, I think that she was doing that alone. Um, I think it was just kind of like the action sequence, uh, that we were expected to have. And so we had it. Uh, I also thought that her drawing all the fire was kind of stupid. I mean, the Germans have, like, a lot of guns on that side of the trench. Why are you only firing at the person who, like, isn't getting hit with any of them? Also, I don't... To, to be fair... makes sense. Yeah. No, I was going to say, like, just, to be fair, like, I'm sure they're not used to some woman rushing across no man's land and a bum rushing them and she's standing up to your bullets. Like, that must be like, what the fuck? How? Everyone keep firing. Fire harder. I suppose. I don't know. I just thought that there were a lot of people for them to just be shooting at her and also to not hit. Um, her bracers work really well for something like the um, the the back alley fight in London, right? Where it's like a lot of small arms fire, but she's like moving around. She's being, um, you know, very fluid in how she fights one person and then another and then another. But for something like this, I mean... Her bracers kind of just act as like lightsabers. They just are wherever they need to be bouncing off bullets and she never gets hurt. Uh, which goes back to what I was saying earlier. I have some questions about her powers. Because in, in the original fight against the Germans, if I recall correctly, on the beach, she does end up with, you know, a couple scars. She's shown not to be like completely invulnerable. But I just feel like later on, in, in the movie as it kind of progresses um, that she's shown to more and more just have like, you know, Superman levels of invulnerability. Yeah. So that's, that's a bit of a progression thing. Um, uh, and I, I wish uh, they would do this in other films. Well, in the other DC films, um, she doesn't come uh, at a hundred percent capability. You know, you clearly see in the film, she gets stronger, she gets better. She gets, uh, I guess she improves uh, the longer the movie goes, uh, her powers even progress. So in that capacity, I guess it would make sense that she wouldn't, uh, how do I say this? 
finale Wonder Woman would have like destroyed those trenches, those trenches. Middle of the movie Wonder Woman, eh, she can get past it and you know open up the doors and you know handle most of the big things. I understand that you know powers can progress, but I don't see why that would be. <laughs> if you're saying that it's like a video game, she's only grinding low level characters until she gets to the final boss, and not even that many of those. She doesn't like train throughout the movie. There's not like a scene of her saying that she's like become like more accustomed uh, to warfare or like, you know, she's, you know, gotten to, uh, to know her equipment better. If anything, she should be kind of like really bad with these bracers. Cause didn't she just take them uh, when she took the armor and the, and the lasso and her shield? That is, wait, oh, she had them on when she was sparring, but that's a fair. Oh, okay. Then maybe the bracers make sense. Cause she, she might've had them longer, but I'm just saying that I, I think that, if she does get stronger throughout the film, I don't really think we're given a reason for that. Just because, you know, she's only ever fighting humans. I don't think that a regular human is ever going to put up that much of a fight against Diana. But she's pulling off different things uh, kind of throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, it might also be about uh, about having to fight on so many different fronts, but eh, it could be wrong. Well, she, she fights through um, the trenches and then we get to uh, a town, right? We get to kind of a German-occupied town, uh, presumably in Belgium, and there's another fight there. And this is where I think that the um, the CG kind of comes into play. Anytime that she's jumping um, or or throwing a heavy object, it just feels unnatural to me. She jumps almost like like the Hulk might jump, but because she's not as obviously like muscled as the Hulk, it just doesn't feel right anytime that she threw something it was almost like she was putting it on an invisible ramp and it was just going straight forward that didn't feel natural either that's fair but i'll see your argument i'll see your fair point and i'll point out that we're talking about a comic book film about an amazon from a planet from a from an island that does not exist sir don't you give me that shit first of all Fuck you! We're, we've we're, had, ta- we're talking about a soldier from World War II, where we pretend that they had the technology to make him into a superhuman, all right? And then there's some so, douchebag billionaire that actually uses the money to help people. That's a lie. Obviously a lie, but we have a term for it. It's called magical realism, right? Mm-hmm. We take an extraordinary element, something that could not exist in the real world, like a billionaire helping people, and we, <laughs> we inject it. Uh, into the real world, right? Something like, for instance, uh, Nolan's Batman. Everything in that world is pretty realistic, except for the fact that there's a vigilante, right? But the world reacts to it in a pretty real way. Like some people, uh, you know, kind of lose their minds and they adopt gimmicks too. Uh, there's, there are like police reactions. There's reactions from the government as to what to do about this person. You take the idea seriously to make the world feel real, feel lived in, so that we can relate to the character. You know, just because you have um, a premise that is fantastic doesn't mean that you get to get away with your movie not making sense. If that were the case, then I mean, world building wouldn't matter whatsoever. And it does. And we know it does because Patty Jenkins did it well earlier. For this, though, I'm saying that it doesn't feel natural, which is bad because a lot of the other parts of the film do. It sticks out worse. I never really took that into account, but fair. 
trying to think. Also, the was... lasso. I didn't like the lasso that much, but that's just a nitpick. <laughs> eh, fuck you. Um, I'm trying to remember. So after after the no man's land sequence, um, we get a bit of respite for respite. I'm sorry for uh, Diana and the team. Um, and she she has some time with Steve, and you know we, we get these beautiful moments where she's kind of learning why man you know does it kind of deserves to be saved besides it being the right thing to do you know she asks Steve so what do you guys do besides war and he says I mean you can uh, read a newspaper and dance and go to the store like you know we'll get married have kids you know and have a life you know he's kind of presenting you know a life outside of war for her. Um, all right. So, quick question before we continue on, you know, from the from the village, what did you think of the 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 ragtag team? We didn't really get to talk about them very much, but what do you think overall of this of this uh, band of misfits, these howling commandos, if you will? But I'm uh, so yeah. These um these howling commandos, as you put it, they're given a little bit more attention than their counterparts in the first Avenger. Um, then again, there are fewer of them. We've got uh, Samir, who is a sort of, I mean, he's a classical archetype, right? You know, he's kind of a trickster. He's a smuggler. He's good at getting people in and out of places. He's got a bunch of, you know, fake identities. He's a natural actor. Um, him and Gal Gadot have a, a really good scene where they kind of like trade languages back and forth. Um, we've got Charlie. Uh, a Scotsman sniper who, due to his PTSD, um, cannot, you know, fire a rifle anymore. He's kind of alcoholic. He's got handshakes. And one thing that I thought was interesting about his character is that normally in a war movie, which is not quite the same as this, but it's related. Normally in a war movie, you would see a character like that you know, come to terms with what had happened or be able to make the shot at the end. What did you think of that choice that, you know, Charlie never really gets over it? I think it's the most realistic part of his PTSD that uh, it doesn't just go away at a moment of, of uh, what well, we need to. Like, no, it's, right. an on, it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing battle that, you know, uh, it, it doesn't just stop because, oh shit, now is the time, you know, I, I I like that aspect of it. I like how deep and how uh, carved out these characters are. Uh, fun fact, uh, I believe Samir, uh, the, the very first one, yeah. he actually shares a surname with uh, one of the members of the Blackhawks. Do you remember when he mentioned that uh, his cousin was teaching him how to fly? Uh, no, no, I don't remember that line specifically. So it's, it's a bit of a throwaway line, but it's kind of also a, uh, a give to, to DC, hardcore DC fans. Uh, his surname is one of the names of the of the Blackhawks, you know, a very famous World War II uh, fighter plane team that DC had or has, I guess. Oh, so uh, so they're saying that Samir is like the the father of one of them, or no, a cousin. He he's a cousin of one of them, uh, and uh, they they would be active. Apparently, there's a there's been talks of Steven Spielberg, which hopefully maybe. Uh, he actually has intent of directing a Black Hawks uh, movie. Um, Steven Spielberg can do a lot of things. I I wish him luck. <laughs> I, wish I mean, him great I mean, luck and great success. I mean, it, it, it sounds cool. I mean, imagine a, a superhero film, but like World War Two, not World War One, World War Two. 
but not super soldiers. We're talking just like really good fighter pilots and like air dog fights. I think that could be awesome. So like a dog fighting movie. Yeah. Um, you ever seen uh, Red, Red Tails? No. What? It's such a good... Uh, it's, it's not like the best uh, World War II movie ever made, clearly. But I mean, it's a pretty fun action movie. And I mean, it, again, there's dog fighting up in the air, you know, with the planes and stuff. It's pretty interesting. No, no. I'm just saying that, you know, dog fighting movies, uh, well, kind of like you mentioned, right? They, um, they sort of exist. And I'm just wondering what the slant on it from a DC perspective would be if they're not superheroes. Um, but that's a review for another day, I guess. We, we also have the chief, right? Um, played by Eugene Brave Rock. And he's got uh, sort of like their tracking ability. He guides them through the uh, the wilderness and the towns that they have to get to to reach this, uh, this cloistered factory. Mm-hmm. He has um, a kind of a brief conversation with Diana uh, talking about how uh, his land was taken um, by Steve's people. There's not like a lot of nuance given to it. And it's sort of, I don't know, to me, it was odd that it was given so little attention. I get that it's for her because she's kind of grasping at this point that, you know, mankind is not inherently good. Um, and if Ares is behind all this, then he's been behind it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that that was kind of shoehorned in. Um, I, you're not wrong. It might have been shortened in. I just felt like it was uh, it, it was an attempt to try and give these characters a more uh, make them more fleshed out. You know, um, and how much screen time can you really devote to the teammate of the secondary team that's not one of the main characters? You know. Uh, well, sure, but conversely, if you can't devote that much time to it, if you can't, you know, do it well, maybe don't do it. Eh. Fair, fair. I, I take your I take your criticism. So we're we're led kind of through the wilderness, through the through the town, right? And the town is really kind of a a moral line being crossed for Diana, wouldn't you say? No, definitely. Um I'd argue it goes back to some semblance of a childhood innocence, because I mean she saved the town. She was just partying with all these people, you know, and they were just having a good time. Right. And then first, uh, the first dance. Yeah. Uh, and her scene, you know, with Steve Trevor, uh, which I, I can appreciate it wasn't overly uh, graphic. It was just, oh, yeah. Like, you know, they're in a room together. Turn off the lights. You know, I, I thought that was a classic way to do it. Um, but uh, it's kind of her innocence being shattered to some degree that, you know, these people she just saved are now all dead just like that in the blink of an eye, you know? Because of the gas attack, yeah, and yeah, this kind of goes back to what I had mentioned a bit earlier about um, Hippolyta. How I really think that you know she kind of uh, did a disservice to Diana sending her out in the world with these you know childlike fantasies. This is really almost you know that arrested development kind of going on in Diana's character, which you know when she sees the kinds of things that people will do to each other and how her heroics can just be kind of overturned so easily. I mean, it really just shatters her. Well, see, I also got to imagine that uh, Hippolyta, I, I mean, I'm sure she didn't realize the horrors. Like, I'm sure she knew, hey, the world of man ain't good. But uh, to find out, you know, the mustard gas bombs, you know, the, the scale of war, 
you know yeah like, yeah if you were coming at it from the ancient greek perspective then yeah maybe maybe you know you don't think it's that bad out there yeah like oh you know it's just a 50 on 50 fight whatever like they like they don't take into account oh shit there are civilians because remember everyone in Themyscira is a warrior period you're a warrior right. and a librarian you're a warrior and a teacher you're a warrior and a fucking i don't know sculptor first lady of the united states yeah but, but you are first and foremost a warrior um and you know to realize oh wait there are innocent people that don't want to fight oh shit they're being yeah. slaughtered right yeah um yeah absolutely absolutely and but that even even that tragedy just kind of makes her more resolute at this point yeah um and she kind of um i don't say runs off in a huff but she kind of it it pisses her off to such a degree that she uh She's hell bent on on killing um, on killing. Oh, I'm sorry, you you can pronounce the name much better than I can. Ludendorff. Yeah, uh, Ludendorff, right? Who she's convinced still uh, is Ares. Yeah, um, which you know, I, by this point, you know they've they've been able to infiltrate a, a gala of the in the German High Command. Um, Steve is able to infiltrate as well, and he he has to stop Diana from killing Ludendorff, you know, killing her in front of everyone. Right. Right. She conceals a sword in her gown. Uh, not the best, like it's in plain sight. Uh, I don't know. Um, but she's about to dancing with Ludendorff, draw it. And like you said, stab him in front of everyone. Um, but here's where kind of another trusted person in her life is going to is going to kind of admit that he lied basically um they have a hurried conversation as i recall it uh at the gala and steve has to kind of explain that it isn't aries that's been behind warfare human beings are just like that <laughs> We're just pieces um, of shit. That, that's all we are. We're just pieces of shit. I mean, fundamentally, you know, <laughs> from, a, from a philosophical standpoint, you could classify them as pieces of shit. Um, <laughs> but this, I think, um, I would have been interested to see, you know, what Diana's reaction to Hippolyta was after learning all this. Because we see sort of a betrayal, you know, from uh, from Steve. Um She's, you know, she leaves once again, um, this time to a secret facility, but this time she's alone. I mean, she doesn't have uh, Steve with her. She doesn't have the, um, the band of three that are accompanying them. Uh, it is just her and her determination to fix the world as she sees it. Definitely. Definitely. Um, she... She's still dead convinced. I think that's kind of like not necessarily the last straw of her innocence, but um, of her of her how naive she is to what the world really is. Um, she gets to the base, and uh, I just want to get your opinion real quick. I love the scene where she kind of like high jumps backwards over the fence and keeps running like with the horse. I don't know. To me, that whole sequence is, is badass. You know that that whole part of it. Uh, what, what what did you think of that? I. And this is a problem kind of throughout this movie. Um, I really didn't like the CG when she's jumping. Um, and I, I've mentioned this, but 
you know, anytime that she's lassoing something, throwing something, or jumping, it just, it feels strange to me. It's the uncanny valley, in effect. Um, I think that Patty Jenkins is making a movie that's uh, deeper than I had expected, right? You know, because we're getting into these themes of, like, warfare, asking these questions. What good is one superhero um, in the face of industrialized death? Uh, but as far as the action presentation, it's pretty hit or miss with me. That's fair. That's that's a fair point. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just like the way it looks. The, to me, the smoothness of it from the transition. But uh, I understand it's not everyone's cup of tea. But um, what I do want to get your your opinion on is uh, we get a short battle between Diana and Ludendorff, who's on this like crack cocaine super super soldier serum. Um, yeah, courtesy of Doctor Poison. Yes, and they, they go they trade blows for a minute until Diana's able to get the upper hand, and she essentially gets her and I'm just gonna fucking say it her first real kill, uh, like she just straight up is in his face and just stabs him right through. Um, the sword and- comes down through the floorboards. Uh, you see that from Steve's perspective. Yeah, um, you know she's convinced that Ludendorff is the god of war. Ludendorff. <laughs> I'd imagine is somewhat confused, but you know, maybe he's just too drug addled to care. Uh, he powers up and they have a very brief fight. Yeah. That, that, uh, that power wasn't very uh, sustainable though. It's for too long. Um, yeah. Yeah. She, Where's she, she is now Dr. Poison. <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Poison, I think is a tr- bit of a tragic villain, but we'll, we'll get to her uh, in a minute. I, so after she kills Ludendorff, we see, you know, uh, she's shocked to see the soldiers are still loading the poison into the planes. They're still doing their job. And she, she's dumbfounded. Like, what the hell is going on? Why, you know, why aren't they stopping? And then we get the reveal that everyone saw coming from a mile away. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know, any great stretch of the imagination uh, to believe that our mild-mannered, you know, really nice guy funded their mission personally, Sir Patrick, it was actually Ares all along. Um, and you had mentioned that her finding out that Steve never really believed in Ares uh, wasn't the last straw. I would argue that if if there is a breaking point in the movie, this is it for her. Um, she's just, you know, been confronted with the reality of the lie that she was given her whole life. Uh, and not only that, but she finds out that her and Ares are also related. It's a real kind of a, it, Luke, I am your father moment. Um, no, definitely. And Ares, I mean, true to form, uh, just to start, what did you think of his design? Like, like overall, you know, he's able to throw metal. He's able to to use the steel to carve out, you know, his armor and whatnot. What, what, what did you think of his look? Um. I wish that I had more positive to say. It's just that the the CG on Ares at the end, I mean, it's video game-esque to me. Um, I felt for large portions of that fight, like I was just watching a cutscene. I thought, you know, maybe this is where God of War is graphically these days. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I thought it was pretty generic. I was fairly unimpressed. Um, with the visual aspect, but also the writing on Ares was, was not great. Um, his speech that he gives was like five non sequiturs. He just kept saying things that weren't related to what he had been saying. Um, 
the general gist of it is that he would make weapons um, and just wait for the humans to use them. And that in the war against the gods, he had been attempting to show the other gods uh, how evil humans were, but they didn't listen. So he killed the gods. And Jesus. then he says that, that he's not the god of war. He's the god of truth, which truth has deities in greek mythology attached to it so i I don't know that was i felt that the movie hit its high point right around the middle and it's just kind of a descent from there um i i don't know i kind of like the idea of uh and again i understand rose in the glasses fucking i'm I'm, i'll write that cocktail to the day i die um I understand that, but also I like the idea that Ares is making a point that I'm not the villain here. I just put the toys on the floor. They're the ones that pick it up and use it to kill each other. Like, it's y'all's call. You guys can just play with flowers and be peaceful. They choose not to be. They're animals. You know, they they are. They're sick creatures. I'm just sitting back and watching the fun, which I like it. I understand it. I just wish, and I think if I have one criticism of the Wonder Woman franchise, even to this point, I wish they had saved Ares for later on and made him like a like a secondary villain in this one and maybe even the next one. Um, because I feel like his, his motivation is awesome. The way he goes about it is great. I genuinely like his look. To me, it looks badass. The fact that he just morphs the metal into his armor I like it. It's just, I wish his uh, motivation had been allowed to be carried out throughout the series of movies rather than one film. I can understand that. And I mean, I think that the the broader point that he makes that, you know, he's just a facilitator. Um, I think it's arguable, but you could at least get something good out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of shadow that with all like the nonsense dialogue that he gives. He's got this one line where him and Diana are like fighting, debating. Um, and she says something like, well, what about love? Um, and he says, then I will destroy love. I just, yeah, I the, have the, no the, idea. There's a lot of cheese there. You're not wrong. There's a lot of cheese there, man. There's, there's a lot of cheese. What allows a professional writer to say, I want my name on that? Um, and this is a finished story. The thing the is, the villain is going to destroy love with mustard <laughs> gas. This the, is great. The, the thing is, and that's fair. Um, I, I, this movie is cheesy, and there's a lot of cheese on this movie. There, there's plenty of it. Um, yeah, again, if I can give what criticism, I probably cringed a little bit at some of those lines, but I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I'm watching a Wonder Woman movie. Character's been around for 80 years. This is the first time she's got a real shot on the big screen. I'll fucking take whatever cheese you got. Like, fine. I'll deal with it. Because this movie, again, to me, up to that point was pretty badass. The fight scenes were good. And I liked it. So I, I took it. I, that's I, Your criticism is fucking valid is what I'm trying to say. And, and I can understand going with the movie, right? I mean, there, there will be times where if a movie has me along for the ride or it makes a strong start... I'm just really liking some aspects of it. I'll let these things go. But Wonder Woman has been 
ups and downs for me, right? Patty Jenkins has really impressed me with some of like the harsher look that she's able uh, or that she's willing to give to like the realities of being a superhero in this world that kind of seems to have passed heroic ideals by, you know, and using Diana as this fish out of water character to examine those issues. Um, so I was really impressed with that. But then some of these choices are, you know, just really generic or really boilerplate. And it disappoints me when that happens. So I can't just, I can't fully endorse the movie because of that. Um, but of course, you know, like all boss fights at the end of video games and movies alike, uh, this one has to end. And we get, I would say like the, the, the emotional climax of the film uh, with Steve's choice. Um, what did you think of that? Did, did that hit you at the very least where, uh, you know, Steve, you know, kind of runs off. Diana has her ears like blown to smithereens for the briefest of moments. And Steve leaves him, leaves her his, his watch. And uh, he, you know, he says like, you know, you can save, you know, I can save today, but you can save the world. Like uh, leaving that moment behind and, you know, running off to what he knows is his death. Like there's no question. I'm going to die right now. But yeah, it, it's yeah. Worth- Chris Pine and Gal Gadot have really good chemistry throughout the film, and I think that the important part of that scene is saying that, you know, yes, he did not, if not lie to her, then like string her along with regard to the Aries thing, um, but that ultimately the important thing isn't that he believed in Aries; it's that he believed in her either way, you know, yeah. and. There's a there's a bomber uh, loaded up with the um, the improved you know gas weapon. Masks are ineffective against it. Um, it could lead to millions of deaths. It could lead to basically a reignition of the war. Right? It could break apart the armistice talks. And it's already um, coasting down. And Steve kind of takes over, and he does. I mean, it's basically the ending from First Avenger. I mean, it's. The parallels, I mean, are pretty much one-to-one, at least from my perspective. No, and you're not wrong. Um, Steve's death was meant to kind of snap Diana and kind of make her realize, like, as fucked up as humanity can be, they're worth fighting for. You know, there's there's reason uh, worth, you know, they're worth saving. Uh, And I think that's the point she makes. She doesn't pick love, I think, in general, when Aries is like, I'm going to kill love. Like she says, love is in compassion. She's choosing forgiveness. She's choosing to not hate, you know, rather than it just being like, well, I pick love. You know, I think there's more to it, but. Oh, sure. On her side. Yes, absolutely. You know, that's a, that's a good choice. But when he says, I'm going to kill love, that's what I thought was the stupidest thing I'd heard all day. See, um, would it have been better if he had uh, if he had said something along the lines of like, you know, then I'm going to kill love. I'll kill compassion. I'll kill uh, the, I guess, the spirit in each and every single one of them one by one. Like, would that have been something better? Yes, because that, <laughs> because there's a plan of action there, you see. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> saying what he's going to do and he's outlining his vision to do it. That's <laughs> the, 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 back, kind of the villain's monologue, if you will. Well, okay, we joke, but the villain's monologue actually is important as far as establishing what kind of a bad guy he is, you know? Yeah. Monologues can tell you about a person's nature, about their wants and desires, their methodology to how they see the world. 
Um, it can be, and you know, this goes back to to Shakespeare, to the Greeks. It can be a great vehicle for telling you all about a character in what a person says and how they say it. With Ares, <laughs> just like, okay, so he's stupid, right? So he's just dumb. <laughs> um, and then the other part um, of the ending, which I found interesting is that there is a contrast uh, to First Avenger in that the person we're going to follow is not the one who was lost, right? It's not the one in the ice. It's the survivor. It's the person that they left behind. And as we kind of uh, close on Diana in present day London, I think that's London anyway, um, at a museum looking at the photo, it really does make me curious as to how we're going to follow this up and what we're going to see in 1984. So I had a quick question. Um, as far as that ending sequence where she, you know, finishes off Aries, I mean, what did you think of the overall battle, the choreography, I guess, you know, subtract the, the dialogue and, you know, all the, all the cliches, like just, just the overall action sequences. What, what did you think of, of the battle between Diana and Aries? Because I personally enjoyed it, but I mean, not everyone does. Well, one thing I thought was weird is that, you know, all of a sudden she just got lightning powers. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. And also, uh, anytime that, you know, they're fighting kind of like close up, I thought the choreography was good. It's just that I didn't enjoy the visuals or the, um, the CG on it, the effects. So those kind of detracted for me, but overall I did enjoy it. Um. Uh, before we go, what, what are your final thoughts on this movie, like overall as a whole? Uh, Patty Jenkins went in different directions than I expected with a few parts of the film, uh, sometimes going higher than I thought she would, uh, but at other times kind of stumbling. This is a, a good movie, but it's not the movie that it could have been, which is a great movie. Uh, but it is enough to interest me for next time. I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing the sequel, seeing if maybe we get some improvements. I'd give Wonder Woman a B. B? Okay, I think that's your highest rating for a DC movie so far, isn't it? It is, yes. Uh, What what did you give Birds of Prey? Uh, C+, I believe. Oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Shit, it's, I mean, is it really a surprise I gave Wonder Woman an A, but again, eh, biased DC fanboy, y'all can, like, my opinions are bullshit when it comes to these movies. Fair enough. I just, I choose to enjoy what memories I can get. If you're listening to us via podcast, uh, please subscribe and review. We'd greatly appreciate it. If you're listening to us via YouTube, again, please like, subscribe. We're trying to grow the channel. We're trying to grow this podcast that, you know, we do every single week. Um, Yeah. Um, I've been Eddie. And I've been Alex. And this was The Rollback.